Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire, and empower you. If you have a Bible, we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 5. We are closing out today a series that we've been in. I hope you've been enjoying it. For the last two weeks is our final week, and it has been entitled Endings and Beginnings. And before we even started, I felt the Lord give me this message, and I truly believe that this is going to be a freeing message for some people, a liberating message for some people. I believe you're about to get a strategy from God that's going to help you to step into your breakthrough in 2021 in the next 35 minutes. And if you believe God could do that in your life, could you give Him a little bit of praise? Come on. I need to, I need to hear like, oh, you know what? Maybe I should just, maybe I should just shout. You want to hear it? You want to hear it? Come on, let me hear. Come on. 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1, the king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet, would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl of Israel had said, go and visit the prophet. And the king of Aram told him, I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts. This guy's excessive. 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothes. It feels like they must be some real designer clothes, you know? To equal 150 pounds of gold, I don't know, just, it's amazing. The king of Israel, the, the, the letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. Jump down to verse nine. We're gonna go straight to verse nine. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and waited. Somebody say waited. waited. At the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent out a messenger to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out and meet me. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, Abana, and Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and he went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him, and they said, Sir, if the prophet, I want you to hear this, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? If the prophet had told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, simply, go wash in the, uh, go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child. 
and he was healed. Father, I just really pray. Let me get this into people's hearts. Let this message connect. Let life and freedom come. I believe you've given through this passage a strategy for us that can lead us into your will and into your freedom and power. So be present. Open our hearts. We bind every distraction. May every cell phone be supernaturally turned to flight mode. May every stomach refuse to grumble. And may every temperature be sweet. And may I look attractive in Jesus' name. Amen. Naaman is the commander of the armies of a nation called Aram. And at the time of writing, Aram is obviously a successful nation. He's also a successful man. He's leading the powerful army of a powerful country. But Naaman has a problem in his life. The problem that he has is leprosy. He's successful in his life, but he still has leprosy. He's led the army in many victories, but he still has leprosy. Because he has leprosy in his life, it means that he has no intimacy. People can see him and they know of him, but they can never really get to know him. There are a lot of people that I meet, successful in life, but they still have leprosy. Something about them that wants, makes them want to keep everybody at a distance. Something about them that they would love to change. I want to just highlight for you this morning as we dive into this talk that just because you're doing well in life, it doesn't mean you don't have leprosy. Most people have in their lives something about them that they would love to change. Most people have a frustrating battle with an area of their personality or character that they would really like to get a breakthrough on. I think anybody, I think everybody hearing this message can identify with a problem that we can't solve. Five honest people, a lot of liars. We are Naaman in our story today. And as we're bringing this series to a close, Naaman is at a point in his journey where he's looking for a new beginning. And that's us at the beginning of 2021. He wants his life to be different. He wants the season he's stepping into to be different from the one that he's had. He doesn't want his life to resemble in the future what it has in the past. He could be so much better. There's something about him that he wants to change. And he's trapped in an impossible situation. This message today is for anybody who feels trapped in an impossible situation. And the Bible tells us that Naaman's wife has a maid and the maid is an Israelite and she says to her mistress, she says, I wish that my master would go see the prophet. If he would go see the prophet, I know that he could be healed. Now, in the Old Testament, prophets represent for us the Word of God and we know that Jesus is the Word of God. And I want you to know at the beginning of 2021, it's simple, but it's as powerful as it has ever been. If you'll go to Jesus, you can be healed. Come on, if you believe Jesus heals, give him some praise right now. For the prophet, just hearing that Jesus could heal him, just that notion, hope is inspired. He gets motivated. You mean the prophet could heal me? You mean things could be different in my life? 
I'm going to go to the prophet. He will change me. He will heal me. I can and I will be a new man. I can and I will be a different person. I hope for everybody here in this talk today, as we're starting into 2021, that that's your heart's cry. I can and I will be different in this new year. I hope somebody out there has listened to both parts of this message already and is dialing into this third one. I hope you've ended your ending. I hope this week you've used some weird speech to speak over your life where you're going. I'm on my way, Naaman's saying. I'm gonna be different. This is my year. Naaman's fired up. I hope you're fired up at the beginning of 2021. Naaman sets out on his journey. What he doesn't realize as he sets out on his journey is that while the desire is good, this is still an uncertain part of his journey. And the enthusiasm you feel is an uncertain part of yours. Because we all know that God can change lives. We've all seen God work great miracles. That's not the thing that's uncertain. The thing that's uncertain is that we've all know someone, we've all been someone who wanted to see change in their life, who wanted to know a breakthrough, but has been ineffective and seen that change come. And I think if we were just to ask ourselves, if we were to be honest for a moment, just, just you know, kind of not ask for a show of hands, but get honest for a second. How many people hearing this message have prayed prayers to God vowing to change, wanting to be different, and found yourself one year later in exactly the same position again? A few knowing nods. The liars today in church. We wanna change, we know that God can help, we know He has the power, but sometimes we still don't get the new beginning that we so desperately desire. Off Naaman goes. And when I say Naaman goes off, I mean he goes off. He is going big time. I mean, when you read that, aren't you blown away by how far Naaman goes in this moment? He takes with him 750 pounds I'm used to kilograms, but I just know that's a lot, right? If a football player in America is 200 pounds, 750 pounds of silver, he has 150 pounds of gold, 10 sets of clothes, he has chariots and he has horsemen. He wants to see his life change and Naaman is going big to get the life change that he so desperately desires. And the Bible says he arrives at the prophet's house with all of his silver, all of his gold, all of his changes of clothes, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Bible says that when he gets there, Elisha doesn't even come to the door. I mean, Elisha doesn't even offer him a cup of tea. He's come all the way from another nation. Zero hospitality, people. He is met by a closed door and by a servant with a simple message. Go wash in the River Jordan seven times and you will be healed of your leprosy. Can we all just agree for a moment that that's an incongruent response? 
I mean, if somebody goes to the effort to come all the way to your home, not just come to your home, my friends, but to bring with them 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, rolling up at your front door with chariots and horsemen, I think we can all agree that when Elisha doesn't even open the door for him, that he is not responding in a way that we would say is cricket. I mean, we can all agree that this invites offense straight out the gate, right? The prophet, sorry, the commander, Naaman, is coming to Elisha's house, and there's something about how he's coming to him that is very interesting. You would think that in the significance of what Naaman has done, that Elisha would respond by showing the significance in the actions that he gives back. But he won't which shows us something interesting. Because Elisha in our passage of scripture is a prophet and he represents the voice of God speaking to people. And here's our question. If Naaman coming to Elisha with grandeur and gifts and extremes and going all out to see his life changed doesn't grant a bar of a response from the prophet, then what does that say about our God? If he goes all out with this is what I'm believing for, this is what I want to see happen in my life, and I'm giving everything I have to it, and yet it doesn't get an iota of an equal response from the prophet, then what is God trying to teach us? Because at the beginning of 2021, here's the truth. Many of us are believing in 2021 for our lives to be different. We wanna change, we wanna progress, we wanna be free. And for many of us, let's get honest, this is not our first time. It's not our first rodeo, people. I mean, come on, how many people out there will agree with me? This is not the first year that in January you've said, I'm gonna go to the gym at least five times a week. And listen to Ed Sheeran. I don't wanna know about showing you, man. This is... This is not the first year that you've had aspirations to be different, right? This is not the first year where you've said, I am gonna stick to my Bible reading plan. Oh, come on, we're in January, so you're like, I'm still on track, I'm still on track. Let's check in in April. Here is this commander of this mighty army coming to the prophet's house. And when he comes to the prophet's house, he's going big. And it doesn't get him anywhere. And if it doesn't get him anywhere, then at the beginning of this new year, I reckon you and I have got to lean into this and figure this out. Because if Naaman gets rejected, if God won't enter into the spirit with which Naaman is approaching him, then I want to put to you today that it could be that the way we are trying to see change in our lives, that is the very thing that is working against change actually happening in our lives. Naaman is standing at the door of Elisha's house. The door is closed. Little clouds of dust are rolling past. The servant has given the message and the door is shut again. And he is saying to himself, I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. I thought, I love the specificity of it. I thought he would wave his hand. Come on, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for a lot of years. There, I meet a lot of people who are hoping that I'm gonna wave my hand, people. 
I thought he was going to wave his hand. And then, whoa, there you go. The leprosy was gone. There are better rivers where I came from than that Jordan River. Man, I should, why can't I bathe in one of them? And because Naaman is a big man, a noteworthy, wealthy man, he went big and he thought that Elisha would respond in kind. And in our lives, we have moments when we want God to do something in or through our lives that is big, to be healed of a sickness, to be successful in business. We wanna preach to the nations. And our default response is to say, if we want God to do something big, then we better go big. I want God to do something big, so I better pray all night. I better fast, I better fast three days a week. I met a guy once who said to me, I'm gonna fast half the rest of my life. He preached it actually at a little youth camp. He said, I'm gonna fast half of the rest of my life. We get to supper, I'm like, wait up, what does that mean? You're gonna fast half the rest of your life. What does half mean? He said, I'm gonna fast, Ray, from 10 p.m. at night until 10 a.m. in the morning. That's not fasting. That's a good night's sleep with a late breakfast. That's what that is. Come on. There's something in us that just says, we gotta go big. We want God to do something amazing. We want God to do something awesome. I'm gonna work 80 hours a week, gonna break this business through. I want something big, so I'm gonna go big. And that's exactly what Naaman does. The Bible describes Naaman as rolling up at the door of Elisha's house. (laughs) You can imagine it, noise, dust, these roads of dirt. He's got chariots, horsemen, You don't carry 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold without wagons. He's got soldiers. He's got to keep that stuff safe on the road. He rolls up with grandeur and wealth and noise and energy. And he pulls up at the door of Elisha's house and read it. Go home and read it in your Bible. You're going to find that when he gets there, he waits at the door of a closed house. (laughs) You'd be thinking red carpet. I mean, they sent messengers in these times. Arriving wasn't like hopping in your car, no Uber. This was a significant journey. And when he gets there, you would expect doors open, iced tea ready, I don't know, you know, pomegranate juice or something like that. We're in Israel, ready to go, ready to meet the prophet. But instead, he rolls up at the humble home of a prophet and finds himself being confronted with a closed door and nobody even to say hello. Stop. The staring at the door. The door is closed. It's a little awkward, isn't it? I don't know how long he's waiting, but then suddenly. Not Elisha. Just some servant. Just some low-level person standing there addressing Naaman and all of his might. And he says, uh, go wash in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed of your leprosy. (laughs) 
the door is closed. Silence again. You can imagine that Naaman in this moment is like, this is not what I expected. This is not what I thought this situation was going to look like. Now listen, um, if you know anything about me, you would know I love the book of Joshua Church. We know that, right? And you also know that I love the Jordan River, right? Because I I preached the sermon from the book of Joshua called Get Ready Across the Jordan River. I would have preached that sermon live, literally, to at least over 100,000 people. Like, I I love that message. I've preached it everywhere. And a few years ago, Jillian and I had the trip of a lifetime. We went to Israel with a group of our closest long-term ministry friends, like people we've done life with for literally 15 and 20 years. And for four days, we toured Israel, life-changing. When COVID is over, we gotta go together. We're gonna have a great time. And while we were there, one day they said, today we're gonna go to the Sea of Galilee. And when we go to the Sea of Galilee, we're gonna cross over on our way home, we're gonna cross over the Jordan River. I said to the tour driver, I said, wait up, wait up. We can't just cross over the Jordan River. You don't understand. We have to stop at the Jordan River. I have to get baptized in the Jordan River. I've got to put my feet in the Jordan. I have to record a video. My church needs photos. This is, a, this is a key moment in my life. He goes, we're not stopping. We're not stopping. But I just, I'm the persistent widow. I just kept going at that tour bus driver all day, all day. Until finally, when we got to the Jordan River, he agreed that we would slow the bus to an almost stop so that I could take a photo. Now, I'm a New Zealander. So when I think rivers, I mean, I am here in the Hutt Valley. We have just a kilometer or so from where I am standing, what we think of in New Zealand as a river, the Hutt Valley River, the Waikato River. We have the Avon River. We, we get rivers. We think mighty, mighty rivers. I am now, though, in the Middle East. This is not Aotearoa, the land of the long, white, continually raining cloud. This is the Middle East where things are just a little bit different. And here I am, pumped up for this moment that I've been waiting for my whole life. And today I wanna show you a photo of what I saw in 2015. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the Jordan River. Yes, yes. Thank you for your applause. Let it rise to a massive crescendo. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, out the window of my tour bus, you can see the bus in the shadow. This is the mighty Jordan River. Now, obviously, I know that over the years, irrigation, you know, changed settlements and all that. They've moved the Jordan River around like they do all rivers in modern culture. But the truth is that most of the year, this was not a mighty river. It is not, hey, go bathe at the special sacred sanctuary. It is go wash yourself in the muddy creek. Here we have a mighty military leader coming with 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, an army, soldiers, chariots, horsemen, wagons, and he gets told by a messenger to a shut door of a home, go have a wash in a muddy creek. Now, I don't know about you, but that's gonna mess with your mind. Naaman is standing at the door of Elisha's home, and he has just had the most anticlimactic moment of his life. He is expecting so much from this moment 
and all he got from a moment that he was believing everything from was something ridiculously small. Go wash in the Jordan River. Elisha's home was near the Jordan. He's basically saying, pop down the road, have a dip in the creek, and the thing is done. You can change your life if you put aside all this grandeur and just do something small. When we're looking for miraculous change in our lives, as we're looking at the beginning of 2021 for a new beginning, endings and beginnings, my strategy for you when it comes to beginnings is that so often when we want a new beginning, we think big. We're like Naaman. We muscle ourselves up. Two hours of prayer a day. Fasting three days a week. At the gym, Ed sharing in the headphones five times a week plus. I'm going for it. I'm all in. But what this passage bears out for us to consider is that big change sometimes starts Small. Verse 13, throw it up on the screen. This is what his servant said to him. Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? Leave it up there. If the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? If there was something massive required of you, you would have gone all in with it. But you wouldn't have got the breakthrough. And he's saying to Naaman, the servant is saying, if you would just obey him when he gives you something simple. I believe at the beginning of 2021, there are a lot of people who are saying, I've got to go big because what I'm believing for in my life is big. And God is saying, I'm not necessarily asking you to do something big, but will you put aside all your pride? Will you put aside all your arrogance? Will you put aside all your self-determination, all this thinking that you are the one that's gonna bring the breakthrough, you are the one in your might and your power that is gonna open the door. Will you put all of that aside and be willing to do something small? We wanna go big because we want the bragging rights. Isn't that true? We want to go big so that we can say, well, I got up and I prayed two hours a day every morning and then God opened the door for me to preach to nations. That's how it happened. It was my devotional life. And you know, yeah, God, God did something in there, but it was actually, I bought him 750 pounds of silver and he worked a miracle. For, oh, you haven't had a miracle? Well, maybe you could, you know, try and be a little bit more like me. I gave a large offering and he healed me of my leprosy. Have you ever stopped to consider that the largeness of your contribution might be what is robbing you of the favor of God? This is a different message, but I believe this is a message for a lot of people. This is Freedom Sunday, I'm telling you. I want you to understand that there may be too much of what you brought to the table that is, you, you believe is leading to your breakthrough. Too much of what you brought to the table and not enough of the intervention of God. 
Too much effort and not enough simple obedience. Maybe to see the breakthrough we need, we must become humble enough to do something little out of devotion rather than something big out of striving. Come on now. I want to change the world. God might be saying in 2021, just turn up on time. Oh, you don't understand. I got to go rah, 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 rah. God's like, no, 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 no. You will never nail the basics if you don't forget about all that hoopla and actually just become a reliable person. I want to own, I want to have a million dollars. God says we'll start saving 10 bucks a week. I want to preach to the nations. Listen to me, Secret Source Sunday, join a life group. The reason why you're not in a life group but you want to preach the nations is because you are afraid that if people get to see the real you, that they won't have respect for what you believe is on you. I'm here to tell you, if people get to see the real you, God can free you from the rubbish that is in you, and then He is able to effectively use you to embrace the little so that you can step into the big. That's a word for somebody. Come on, give God some praise in this place right now. God isn't looking for people who are big. He's looking for people who are willing to be small. Small, someone shout small. Come on, Auckland, let me hear. Someone shout small. small. I want to hear in Rolleston. Somebody shout small. small. We can't come to God thinking that we're all that and the biscuit and expect Him to then pour out His anointing and favor on us in 2021 because of all the efforts we're going to. It is not going to work. The way you see change in your life is you come to God and you say, I am little, I bring to you what I can, but I know that when what I have is placed into your hands, you can do something amazing with it. And if you believe that's true, give everybody in every auditorium and everybody in our online family around the world one big clap right now. Come on. I mean, Samuel, Samuel the prophet said to King Saul, although you were once small, in your own eyes, didn't you become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Not when you were big, but when you were small. God will find you when you're willing to be small. God said to Naaman, go small or go home. Go small or go home. Tap three people next to you and tell them, go small or go home. So what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say in Matthew 13? He said, the kingdom of God is not like a mighty tree. He didn't say the kingdom of God is like a splendid garden. He said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that even though it is the smallest of all your seeds, it grows to become a large tree. The greatest impact in your life, the kingdom of God, is going to come from something that starts very small. And as we're starting into 2021, I feel like God is saying to us, Arise, the big change you wanna see in your life isn't gonna come because you're taking the weight of the world and all the responsibility on your shoulders. God's saying, no, leave the bigness of the problem up to me. Humble yourself and take on your shoulders just something small. 
Just go wash in the water, Jordan. Just do this little thing. Be obedient in the small things. What did Jesus say? He said, if you have been faithful with the little things, then you will be entrusted with much. In other words, God isn't looking to decide who he favors simply based on those who are going big every day of the week and are back next January with the same problem in the same place that they poured all their energy into for only a short and unsustainable period of time in 2021. God's looking for the people who say, I, I don't even, I don't care whether I ever become a bigwig. I'm not worried about whether I'm ever famous. I'm just going to do the little thing that you asked me to do. I'm going to be obedient with the small things. And God says, when I see that, that's when I start pouring out big things on those who are willing to be small. Someone shout small. Small. Come on, this is a word from God. I feel the Holy Spirit. See, friends, the truth is small things in our lives have so much power. The devil knows that. Have you ever thought to consider? Remember what the devil said to Jesus? He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their grandeur. And he said, I will give all of this to you. See, the devil's gonna come to your life and he's gonna try and make you go after the big things while you neglect the small the devil's gonna come to your life and try to undermine the significance to invalidate the necessity of doing the small things God's asked you to do. Placing our confidence in what we have or in the big things only serves to undermine our faith. Believing that simple obedience to God could bring the breakthrough is gonna unlock the door of your faith. Feeding of the 5,000. Big problem. Big miracle. One boy. Have you ever read it? Five small loaves. Two small fish. Didn't have to be in there. Five small loaves. Two small fish. Could have been five loaves, two fish. No, no, five small loaves. Five bread rolls. I mean, how much does a boy eat? These are not big loaves. Five bread loaves, five table loaves, you know, five table rolls and two small fish. And Jesus fed 5,000. The small thing he brought to Jesus was used in a powerful way. All God needs to do something big is something small. In this year, how about we don't do something big that we've initiated? How about we do something small that God intended for us to do? Come on. Yeah, come on, give God some praise. Let's do something small that God intended for us to do. I wanna tell you this, this is true, and I feel vulnerable even sharing it with your church, but at the beginning of this year, when I was praying, I spent a lot of time praying about my schedule, and I felt the Lord spoke to me and said, John, this year, I want you to read your Bible for 15 minutes a day. And I said, God, that's too small for me to be anointed. And he said to me, that's no, that's too small for you to feel like it was your effort and you get to brag about it, and that's why you're anointed. 
And so since January 1, that's what I've been doing, but I've made some changes. Rather than doing it with any cell phone near me ever, it is now like never near me, focus timer, no distractions, 15 minutes. And I've been amazed what I've got out of just 15 minutes of focus time reading my Bible. And here's the thing, here's the thing. I've done it every day bar two since January 1. I would never have been that consistent if it had been an hour or 90 minutes. But it was just God saying to me, John, you do something small and I'm gonna take the small thing that you give me and I'm gonna use it for my purpose. See friends, so often in life what we want is we want something big. We think everything has to be big. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be big. The Bible never said that your actions had to be big. He just said you have to obey me with what I've asked of you to do. Come on. I think sometimes when people join a rise church, mature Christians, they're hoping they're gonna get met at the front door by a prophet. <laughs> like they're arriving at a rise church, like here I am, I've been to Bible college, you need to know this about me, but I was actually a lead singer in my last church. And when they come to the door of a rise church, they get a little door greeter or maybe, you know, not even the campus pastor, just a volunteer saying, hey, would you join a set up and pack down team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, am I talking to anybody today? Oh, you don't wanna hear it, but it's true. And the truth is that honestly, half the time, God isn't looking at the bigness of your experiences, the largeness of your talents. God isn't looking at your bank account. God isn't looking at your retinue of experiences. God is looking at your heart and He's saying, would you be willing to be simply obedient to the little thing I asked you to do? Because if you'll trust me in the little, I'm gonna use it for big. Come on, if you believe it, give God some praise. Sometimes it's just a little thing. When Jillian and I first got married, Jillian said to me, hey, John, we should really pray together. And I did what a lot of husbands do. I went, yeah, great idea. And then never, ever did anything about it. Because in my mind, as an immature Christian, everything that was attached to faith had to be big. So for me, I'd already had a devotional life that was, to be honest, unmanageable. I was already getting up early and reading my Bible for an hour and praying for an hour. And the thought that I had to add in another devotional time, like in my mind, it had to be at least 15 minutes. You've heard my wife pray. And honestly, this morning, the greatest miracle of the service is that she prayed for 90 seconds or less. I mean, honestly, the woman is a prayer warrior. I'm not trying to belittle her. I'm just saying when she starts praying, she starts tapping in the zone and who knows what's gonna happen next. And I'm like, I'm already exhausted. I, I just don't have the time. Plus, what happens if I am not okay with how long this thing has taken and I try to end it, we're gonna have an argument and surely God's not gonna be cool with that. Like, I can't fight in the middle of a prayer time. Like, that's, that's surely beyond, that's like the unforgivable sin, surely. I mean, I can't, we can't argue in a spiritual environment. So I just, I just did what so many husbands do. I just procrastinated it. And then one day, one of our kids, when they were very small, had a problem and we needed to pray for it. So I said, baby, let's just pray. So while the kid child was asleep, I can't remember which one, we just stood in their bedroom and we held hands together and we just said, Lord, we just pray over this child of ours that you would do X, Y, Z in their lives. We bind that, we loose this, we believe your intervention. In the name of Jesus, amen. We walked downstairs and we watched television. <laughs> And what we prayed for was answered. Yes. Come on. 
And honestly, I can, if you were to say to me, John, do you and Jillian pray together today? I would say, all the flipping time. But it really would last longer than three minutes. Now, some people out there are like, oh, whoa, well, we pray a lot longer than that. You probably don't have the same schedule we do. You want to go big, I'll come big. But our marriage, I couldn't tell you how many times we have prayed over our children, seen radical answers to prayer. I'm talking radical. Circumstances change, spiritual environments shift, friendships altered, doors open, healing come. And every single time we pray, or we pray over our lives, we've prayed over a rise. We've done many, many times. We've prayed for a myriad of different things, but it's never been something big. The devil wants you to only think that God's going to bless big. Why don't our lives change? Because we don't understand the power of just doing something small. Go small with all your big goals for 2021. With all your massive expectations, save money, gym all the time, pray like a warrior, Bible college every night, start five life groups, open up a new business, write a song a week, open the door. Next greatest famous actor in all the world. With all of the hoopla that you're attaching to your 2021, I feel like God's saying, I'm not impressed by your gold. I'm not impressed by your silver. I'm not impressed by your chariots. It doesn't matter what kind of human effort you conjure up. Would you just be willing to trust me in your life that I am God and I am able and I can work miracles and my power is available for you and doors can open and break can come and healings can be delivered if you would just be willing to do something small. Come on, every location, stand to your feet, give your God about 10 seconds of praise. Sometimes it's just about something small. Come on, go small or go home. The band, go small or go home. Go small or go home. Go small or go home. I just feel like God's saying to somebody in this room, go small, go small. Trust me with something small. Whack three people around you, say go small, go small, go small, go small, go small. As I bring this all to a close, let me close with this one story. When Israel stepped into the promised land, the Bible says that they were confronted with a city by the name of Jericho. So big the walls of Jericho were that people lived in the walls. Chariots raced on the top of the walls around the city of Jericho. And a slave race of people who have been in freedom for only one year are now meeting a challenge that is bigger than they've ever faced in their lives before. So what did God say? Get a million soldiers and storm the gates. Be willing to burn 100,000 soldiers just to get those doors to open. Give it everything. Is that what God said? Did God say fast? He didn't even say fast. He said, I want you to take all the soldiers and for one hour of the day, I just want you to walk around the walls of Jericho. Just walk around the walls. The only assignment I'm giving you is for one portion of your day. God didn't say the rest. You can watch Netflix the rest of the day. I mean, it's the God didn't say 
I don't think that was quite what God was intending. But you hear what I'm saying? You can eat a meal. You can carry on with the business. You can converse with your wife. You can do whatever you want. You can go wakeboarding for all I care. You just got to do this for one part of your day. Pray over it. Walk around it. And because they were willing to do something small, the breakthrough that they received was something big. And as we bring this message to a close, I feel like God is saying, this is your Jericho tumbling year. This is the year when what you have in front of you that seems so ominous is gonna come tumbling down. But the Lord says it's not your might and it's not your power and it's not your strength and it's not your efforts. It's gonna be because of the Spirit of the Most High God. And God is saying, trust me with the big things. Would you be willing to do the small things? Come on, if you believe God's gonna bring some Jericho walls down, I want you to praise Him. Shout like they shouted on the seventh day. Come on, lift your voice. Come on, Palmerston North. Come on, Calvary, let me hear you. Shout unto God, all you people. Give God some praise. Father, in the name of Jesus, I declare breakthroughs are gonna happen. Freedom, this is a freedom year. This is a supernatural increase year. In the name of Jesus Christ. Come on, come on. Every person, every campus, lift your hands towards heaven. I'm gonna pray for you. Father, right now in the mighty name of Jesus, I just declare over your people that you are gonna make this the year where we see the change that we so covered. That person who feels like they're struggling with some kind of spiritual leprosy in their lives, a problem they can't solve, something that is too big. I believe you're putting a word of hope and faith into their life right now to let them know that you are with them, for them, on their side. Good things are ahead, breakthroughs are around the corner. You haven't left them alone. I declare over every life that this is the year of new beginnings. This is the year of personal awakenings. This is the year of undeserved favor in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you believe it, arise then from Whangarei to Dunedin, everywhere online. I want you to lift your voice and give your God some praise. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Pastor John Cameron, visit arisechurch.com or connect with us on Instagram at Arise Church and at John Cameron NZ. Cool, and one more time.